If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, with a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands. We have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs a family-friendly atmosphere we have colorado beers on tap all the games on the tvs it will blow your mind with amazing barbecue Welcome in to a Memorial Day edition of the BSN Broncos podcast presented by Elixinol. And it's Ryan Konigsberg and not Zach Stevens today. Zach is paying money to run on regular city streets. But we do have a special guest with us here. And you may remember him as super intern Henry Chisholm. And now he is just full-fledged BSN Denver employee and graduate of the University of Montana, Henry Chisholm. Welcome back, Henry. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm really excited. Uh, It's also pretty cool to hear full-time employee at BSN Denver, Henry Chisholm. Also, is this the first time we've said that? Do people know that I'm back here? They do not. Yeah, I think we're breaking news. This This, is pretty cool. This is the first bit of breaking news of today's today's podcast. Yeah. How much are we going to tell about what I'm doing with BSN? Not not everything yet. Okay, we'll keep some secrets. We are going to keep some secrets. Uh, but Henry is back. We're really, really excited to have him at BSN. Um, he, I know he hates when I gush about him, but, uh, you know, he is a perfect example of what, we try to, what, we, what we've been trying to do at BSN, which is find awesome young talent who wants to be progressive, who wants to, you know, do things the BSN way. And, and Henry came in last year and did a internship with us that left us saying like okay well the second that he graduates we have no choice but to hire henry full-time we know he loves denver we're happy to have him back um and i'll just give you a little a little tidbit of how dedicated henry is when i called him and and essentially told him that we were going to hire him it was a friday and at like 2 a.m on monday before you even had a place to live he was like i'm here in denver i got everything in my car i was just gonna couch surf until I find a place. So he's been couch surfing at my place the last couple nights. Was with AJ, our Avs guy, 
might go spend a night with Andre, uh, but he's here. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to get moved into a spot, hopefully Tuesday. Otherwise, I'll just keep couch surfing and living the homeless life. <laughs> yes, but um, it's really exciting for us, like I said, to be able to, to be in a position where we can just say, like, we love this guy, we want to hire him. Um, and it's definitely, uh, you know, part of a, a new wave at BSN where we're making a lot of uh, progressive changes and, and got a lot, of, a lot of exciting things happen, so stay tuned. As for the Denver Broncos, the team in which this podcast revolves around, I want to start with a name that people should probably start to get to know. I, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably already do know the name, but this guy uh, might have a really good chance of extending the undrafted streak for the Denver Broncos. And the name is Joe Deneen, the linebacker from Kansas. And the reason I bring him up today on the podcast is because I spoke with a source this weekend who said of any of the young, young rookie, undrafted, whoever, all these young players, the name the coaches are talking about the most, especially when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, is Joe Deneen. And it's funny because we talked so much about linebacker throughout the offseason. It's, I mean, Henry, you listen to the podcast when you can, like, we talked about linebacker almost every day. Yeah, it's constant because it's the biggest question, and that's supposed to be Vic Fangio's calling card, that he gets a good linebacker, and that's the key to the defense. Shut down the middle of the field, and then everything else will, can revolve off of that. But surprising, though, because they didn't make any moves to upgrade linebacker. If anything, I mean, they kind of took a step back, letting Brandon Marshall leave and just saying, we have Todd Davis, we have Josie Jewell, see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, and I guess what happened was they had their eyes on Joe Deneen, and I think, you know, it's not – you can't call it like a one-for-one in terms of taking Joe Deneen in the, you know, the eighth round per se instead of Devin Bush at number 10. I think there has to be a difference there. But, you know, hearing what I heard made me say, okay, who is this guy? You know, can we look deeper into who Joe Deneen is? What did everyone miss about him? Uh, and can he be that type of player for Vic Fangio? And maybe this is Vic Fangio kind of calling his shot here, saying, like, I don't need your, you know, 4-4 uh, crazy athletic linebacker. I need a guy who can play the game the right way. And I think that's what Joe Deneen did at Kansas. Now, obviously, Kansas not known for their football program, but he balled out there on a team that was not very good. Um, and, and, and PFF really, really loved him. And, you know, other than watching the tape, which I've done a little bit of where you see him pop certainly on a, on a under talented de- defense, PFF does a good job of putting things into perspective. Uh, he had an 86.1 overall grade from them, which is the best among all linebackers in the big 12. That's pretty impressive. Um, but he really shows out as a run stopping linebacker and, and, Again, it's a little weird because we were expecting the Broncos to go target a pass-stopping linebacker. But where this guy shows out, I mean, most run stops among linebackers in the PFF era since 2014. He's second, just behind Malik Fountain with 153 and one spot ahead of uh, Josie Jewell with one f- who had 152. And, and a run stop um, on their metric is essentially a run that went for zero or negative yards if you were the primary tackler. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Josie Jewell because I think that that's 
an interesting comparison. Obviously, Josie Jewell got drafted. Was that fifth round? Still a pretty late yep. pick. But they kind of fit that same profile. Not a crazy freak athlete, but a guy who can fill holes and stop runners from picking up really anything with these run-stop numbers. Um, the other thing is that Joe Deneen actually was pretty solid in coverage, too. What was he, like 90 coverage grade from Pro Football Focus? Yes. Um, over the last two years, among linebackers with 500-plus snaps, so you got to be on the field you know, almost every down, uh, he posted a 90.4 coverage grade, which was 13th in all of college football. Which is pretty wild, considering that he really is a run-stopper. Uh, last year, he had 109 solo tackles. These aren't tackles where he's getting help from somebody else. He's helping somebody else out. This is just him finding the ball carrier and bringing him down. 109 led the NCAA. The year before, he was third in college football. Um, and he was behind a guy from San Jose State named Frank Jinda, who was first. Number two, Leighton Vanderesh from Boise State. Yeah, I mean, you look at the production, and the production will blow you away. Um, he was all over, and this can sometimes happen, I know, because I watched a lot of CU football when they were terrible. Sometimes when you have one standout linebacker on a terrible team for CU, uh, you know, they had a guy named Addison Gillum who came in as a freshman and was just racking up, like, insane amounts of tackles. He was a freshman All-American, uh, ended up, you know, having kind of an injury-riddled career, but some of these bad teams, if you have one guy who's flying all over the field, they can rack up a lot of tackles. But, man, this guy, like I said, when you look at the production, it just jumps out at you. And that's one thing. And, you know, the fact that he wasn't drafted, I think you can look at a few different reasons. One thing is he wasn't invited to the combine. And he got injured at his pro day. So he had an incomplete pro day. That can't help. Um, but all of that... It's fine. You know, you never know. You have to play it slow. But when you hear it from the coaches, that's when I start to, you know, perk my ears up. That's why I said, you know, I had to go look deeper and say, okay, who is this guy? Because when you hear it from inside the building that, okay, the coaches are talking about this guy a lot, that's when you start to say, wow, it's early for a, for a rookie to already be getting that type of, I don't want to call it praise yet, but buzz you know, that people in the building are talking about him. That means more than anything we can say that PFF said or what numbers he posted or anything he did in college. If these guys are noticing it, and we're talking about, you know, Reggie Herring, who's been doing this forever, Vic Fangio, who's, you know, the best, potentially the best linebacker coach of all time, um, you know, Ed Donatel, who's been doing it. We're talking about, you know, these these coaches who have seen guys come in and out. When when they're noticing, that's when, every, that's when it's time for everyone else to start noticing. Yeah, and so we've covered the coverage, we've covered the tackles, but it isn't just that he can sit back and stop guys from passing the ball, he isn't letting the runners get to him, he's penetrating too, he's getting through the line of uh, scrimmage and dropping ball carriers. 2017, 22 tackles for loss. Whew. That's just incredible. 22 tackles for loss, that's fourth in the NCAA. I mean... And remember, he's starting from five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he's basically just beating him to the line and bringing him down all by himself because he's, what, 6'2", 235? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big guy who seems like he can get to where he needs to go. You never know. Like, this could this could be the one, you know, because every year it's someone, and I, I actually spoke to someone who said, you know, he was asked, uh, why did you come to the Broncos? And one of the reasons was their history 
with undrafted players. Once he went undrafted, he said, I want to go to a place where they give undrafted guys a chance. And he's going to get that chance uh, in Denver. And, and I believe it's 16 out of the last 17 years an undrafted man has made the roster. Um, I think there is a very good chance you're going to see Joe Deneen be that guy this year. Yeah, I think so too. And here's a fun tidbit about Joe Deneen. I mean, we can go through all the production and stuff, but he was also a captain uh, at Kansas. And during his junior season, he was one of the Kansas captains who decided not to shake Baker Mayfield's hand at midfield before a game. Ah. Baker Mayfield stuck his hand out. They all decided that they were just going to keep their hands at the side, make him look like a fool. That was, you know what? I liked every bit of that. I liked it from both sides. Um, I'm sure there are some people who say it was like unsportsmanlike and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, of course, Baker doing the gesture. The gesture. <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> later in the game. I loved it. Uh, if you're Kansas going up against Oklahoma, you got to try something, right? I mean, yeah, you can try something. It isn't the classiest move. But uh, it's also true that Kansas lost that game 41-3. to Right, and, and again, because they had no shot. But why not try to give yourself a little extra edge? Why not try to get in Baker Mayfield's head and, and get try to get him riled up? Maybe he starts making some bad decisions. You don't have a chance anyway. Like, I always talk about this, and I say, like, why didn't Kansas just try to run the triple option in that game? Or why didn't they onside kick every kickoff and – go for every fourth down and go for two every time they scored. Like, oh, they didn't score. But you know what I mean? Like, when you're at such a talent disadvantage, just try everything. And and I appreciated that from them. Yeah, and that's something that, I mean, we were talking about this a couple days ago, but that's something you can do in football is totally change up the scheme and try to catch people off guard. Uh, covering Montana football last season, that's something we saw a lot. One week, Bobby Houck, who's I mean, a legendary college football coach. I mean, it's FCS, so you guys probably haven't heard of him. But he's a great coach, and he comes up with different game plans every week. One week, it's run five wide. The next week, three tight ends, and you power behind them. And so teams don't know what to game plan for, and you, you get a jump on them to start every game. I think he did that same thing where he ran the triple option. It was a game, his first stint in Montana, just a few years in. What would that be, like 2005 or so? They're playing Idaho. Uh, somebody's hurt. They have a severe talent disadvantage. It's not looking like it's a game that they're going to be able to win. So he drops everything, installs a triple option offense, and they run out and they beat Idaho. And that's something that we really haven't seen from this last Broncos coaching staff either. It's so predictable. The first few weeks of the season... They win the games. What they start? Did they start three and one again last year? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, but it's because they run that, uh, run the ball, run the play action off the ball, and it works. But then teams adjust to it, and they know what's coming. The Broncos tried to keep sticking with it, and it just didn't work. There was no creativity. And that actually brings up a um, Zach story from the end of last week, which I recommend everyone read. The headline was why Vic Fangio's defense per- perfectly matches his favorite gray sweatsuit. But make sure you read it because I think Zach did an awesome job on it. But what what it gets to is that it's unpredictable. And, and it might look like one thing and be something else. And you mentioned the offense. Well, I look at the defense. The defense just goes out there and runs press man all day long. Teams just start figuring out how to beat it. And then... It wasn't even good press man early in the season. They were playing that weird, like, off-the-ball, scared of 
getting too close type of man coverage, which was awful. And you saw Joe Flacco actually was one of the people who took great advantage of that and just started taking underneath routes and making easy passes all day long. So we kind of got far off the subject here, but um, I don't remember actually how we got here to you. (laughs) Neither do I. All right. Well, it actually gives me a good chance to transition um, to another undrafted Kansas Jayhawk. And that one is Chris Harris Jr. Now, you you guys are probably getting sick of this. I'm getting sick of talking about it. I think they're getting t- close to a finish line here. Uh, but the latest update is that the two sides are close. It's going to be, as it seems, that one-year pay raise that we've been talking on this podcast for weeks about how it doesn't make sense, or at least a week and a half about how it doesn't make sense. Uh, but for, I guess first I'll get your take on that, Henry, before I go where I want to go with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been listening to what you guys have been saying on the pod, you and Zach. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that they're just going to give him a pay raise for one year, but I don't think I hate it as much as you and Zach do. Um, the first report, John Elway, in whatever press conference that was, he says that uh, Chris Harris, they're – uh, not not a, there isn't a guarantee that they're going to get a new deal done with him. And Chris Harris clapbacks on Twitter and says, well, I need a new contract, $15 million a year, or I'm demanding a trade. And it's important to remember that that's where this started, that he says he's going to ask for a trade if he doesn't get a new contract. And so maybe this is John Elway's way of saying, like, we respect that. We say we we understand that that's something that you might be willing to do. We're going to give you $3 million, whatever it is, just to keep you around and the drama and then figure things out from there. It makes like that part of it. I guess I can understand. Um, it just seems so out of character for John Elway to like fall. I don't know if the word is victim, but fall victim to that sort of demand. Um, when we've said a thousand times on this podcast that John actually holds all the power in the negotiation. But I did, I'm glad you brought up the positives because I did want to look on the bright side here because we've been so hard on this idea uh, because it, it really doesn't make sense. But what does make sense, Henry, I almost called you Zach, uh, <laughs> is having Chris Harris Jr. on the team. Like this team, I don't even want to say is incrementally better with Chris Harris Jr. on the defense. They are substantially better with Chris Harris Jr. on the defense. And that's an it's it's really an undeniable fact. Uh you're you all of a sudden go from Bryce Callahan, Kareem Jackson, I'm putting that in air quotes as a corner, Isaac Yadam, like when you move let's just put it this way. If you move uh Kareem Jackson to safety on a play right now, Bryce Callahan is your number one corner. Right? Yeah. No, that's totally true. And for a scheme that's based off of versatility, you need to have extra guys who you can throw around everywhere. And so they can... I mean, who who are your top five defensive backs right now? You say Chris Harris Jr., you say Kareem Jackson, Bryce Callahan, you say Will Parks and Justin Simmons, and those are the five guys you can throw out there. And then you mix them around. Who's the sixth, though? Do uh, you say, like, Adam. a Yadam? All of a did you already say Adam? I, I didn't say Adam. Okay. So if you if you take out Chris Harris Jr. and throw Isaac Yadam in there, all of a sudden you kind of run out of options. Or you don't have as many options because you know Isaac Yadam has to line up on the outside one of the cornerback spots. You can't just be throwing him around like you can everybody else. But if he does work out this season and you have him 
and maybe Sua Cravens takes a step, you know, then you have six pieces. And once you have six pieces to fill five spots, that's where you can really get creative and put throw in all these different looks. And you need Chris Harris to be there and you need one of these other guys to step up for that system to really work. And I think that's what they need to be building toward. Just the unpredictability, the, the I don't know, just the ability to show them different looks every single time they're on the field is huge. And that's something I don't think you can get without Chris Harris, who can play inside, who can play outside. Maybe he can even step back and play a little bit of safety. We haven't seen him uh, in a role like he'll probably play this year either because he's been a press man cornerback. This defense gives him an, uh, an opportunity to read and react. You know, he's playing the zone. He's reading the quarterback's eyes. He has a chance to make plays. And for one year to see whether that fits him better or worse than the press man before you give him a big contract, that part also kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, if you go back and listen, and, and I, I haven't done this, so I'm just I'm going off of memory here. If you go back and listen to when we had Chris Harris Jr. on this podcast at the end of last season and asked him what he would do if he was the defensive coordinator, he brought up mixing it up more, disguising coverages. I remember very clearly he, he mentioned disguising coverages. He talked about a little more zone and making things difficult on def- on the offense to know what you're doing. Well, that's exactly what this defense is all about. And so Chris would be really uh, successful in this. I'm, I'm very sure of that. But Going back to what I was starting to say there, if Chris Harris Jr. isn't on the defense and Kareem Jackson is playing safety, your number one corner is Bryce Callahan, who is a slot guy. I mean, he can probably bounce outside, but he is a slot guy. And then your number two corner is Isaac Yadam. And as much as I believe in Isaac Yadam as a guy who is going to do what it takes to get better and and probably will take a, a, a decent step forward this year, that is a stark difference than if Kareem Jackson is playing safety, Chris Harris is your number one corner, and Bryce Callahan is your number two corner. Like, there's no denying that that is a massive upgrade. And based on everything we've heard so far, is Kareem Jackson has only played safety. He got he said, you know, I got a couple looks in the slot at corner, et cetera, et cetera. They are definitely grooming him to play a lot more safety in this defense, and so. Without Chris Harris Jr. on the field, the defense is significantly um, worse than if they're out there with him. So as much as I don't understand the thought process behind just letting a guy kind of drag you around and force you to give him more money when he's under contract, I do, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you're you really you want to buy something, but you're like, oh, I don't know if I should. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can afford it. And then you buy it, and you're just so happy you did. That's that's how I feel about this situation. Is like the the process of how they're going to get there really makes me scratch my head. But once Chris Harris Jr. is out there on that field, like no one's going to be complaining. No, because you're adding another playmaker to a playmaking defense. I mean the the way that the the Broncos were set up for their Super Bowl run. You had to trust a bunch of different guys to win their one-on-one matchup every time. Chris Harris had to shut down whoever he was going up against. Aqib Tlaib had to shut down whoever he was going up against. Same thing with Bradley Roby. And that frees up Vaughn Miller and Demarcus Ware to rush the edge and get to the quarterback. But if one of those guys doesn't show up, all of a sudden, he's getting burned. 
And so Chris Harris and Aqib Talib, Bradley Roby, their job was to stick with a guy and give the pass rushers time and not give up big plays in one-on-one coverage. But now that's different. Now their job is to sit back and look and see if they can be the playmakers, if they can find the interceptions when they sit down the zone, read the quarterback's eyes. And I think in a defense like that, you want as many playmakers as you can. My theory in the NFL today on defense isn't that you're going to stop a team from getting 10 yards in three plays. Because the offenses are just too good that over the course of three plays, you're going to get a first down. What you need to do is come up with a sack that sets them back, an interception that just gets the ball back. And I like the way that this defense can do something like that. And with Chris Harris, it just makes what should be the strength of that defense, like you know, trying to turn the ball over, try to get it back, it makes it even bigger strength. It gives you one more guy who can make a play back there, and he can probably do it better than anybody else on the team right now. And he's maybe this, he might even be the smartest guy on the defense when it comes to understanding offenses, understanding what quarterbacks are trying to do, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, well, and even just thinking from this one season, I'm, let's let's flash back to his rookie year. He's in training camp, and he says that Champ Bailey helped him learn half of what he learned, however he said it, and helped him develop into an NFL corner because he saw how he approached the job. He learned from him. He learned the technique. He, he picked up on tips from him. Imagine just one year with Chris Harris with Kareem Jackson and with uh, Bryce Callahan because it's not like those guys don't know what they're doing, but you can always learn more, especially from a guy like Chris Harris who understands the technique. Like he's, he's a technique monster. That's how he's gotten to where he is. He wasn't drafted because he doesn't have the athleticism and the size to rely on. It's all technique with him. And even just having a few months to share those tips with those other guys would pay off for a few years after. Yeah, especially with Bryce Callahan, who essentially is a, a similar guy, a guy who is undersized, um, you know, undervalued, uh, had to learn how to cut it in the slot with quick twitch movements. You put him around Chris Harris Jr., he will learn a lot. So that's a really good point. All right, well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to talk about as it relates to Chris Harris Jr. when you get to the questions, but we're going to do just that after this short break. The Greg Mastriona Golf Courses at Highland Hills offer something for everyone. With a championship 18-hole golf course, the regulation 9-hole blue course, and two par threes, golfers of all skill levels will find exactly what they're looking for. There's a lot of opportunities for families to enjoy the game of golf together here. as We do have multiple courses, all different skill levels. So it's a great place to teach and develop. Really a good way for families to, you know, grow their skills and enjoy the game together. That was Alan Brown. He's the director of golf over at Highland Hills. If you're busy at work all day, don't worry. At Highland Hills, it's never too late to start a round of golf. Well, Highland Hills has a fantastic pay-for-what-you-play program. It is designed for the player to play after 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the evening. And you check in. You play as many holes as you can until dark, and then you come to the pro shop, and we give you a rain check for any holes you don't finish. We also do a really fun event, Glow Golf, on our Par 3 golf course, one time a month, $25, no cart, but we give you glow balls. It's a fantastic way to have some fun with friends and get out and enjoy the nighttime and the summertime here in Colorado. To learn more and book a tee time, head over to GolfHighlandHills.com today or call them at 303-428-6526. Lots of questions to get to today on the BSN Broncos podcast presented by Licks and All. It's Ryan Konigsberg and Henry Chisholm here. And we are jumping into these questions ASAP. The first one here comes in from Rob. He says, hey, guys, sorry for the comment that sounded like an ad. 
Someone asked about hidden gems in Denver a few podcasts back, and I wanted to chime in. I live in Iowa now, so there's no personal interest in the place I mentioned. Just a place I like to go on the weekends with friends when I live there. I like how he like avoided saying the name now because he didn't want to be accused of uh, saying an ad again. I think it was like Three Penguins Bar and Grill or something yeah. like that. Well, I love the recommendations. Now that I'm down here permanently, I need as many recommendations as I can get. Like restaurants, bars, things to do. I don't even know. So my like, recommendation get at me is, on Twitter. My recommendation to you is just go outside and t- like walk a block and you'll find a great place. Okay, that's a good one to start <laughs> with. That's that's Denver in 2019. Like you, you, ha- you would have to actively try to not find a good meal. Huh. See, things aren't like that in Montana. You walk <laughs> a block and you're just looking at more cows and empty fields and I don't even know what's up there. Yeah, it's pretty great around here there you really can't go wrong i'm excited all right he also asked when is zach gonna eat a hot pocket on the air and the water challenge did that stuff get scrapped or is it still going to happen this off season it is still going to happen we haven't even reached the true off season yet because when we talk about off season on this podcast we're really talking about june and i think the last day is june 6th of mandatory minicamp like after that is the that's the only thing that we consider the off season yeah, it's fair because there's always other stuff going on. Even even in that slow period between the Super Bowl and the draft, like you have the combine, you have the Senior Bowl, and you can fill the rest of the time talking about prospects and the potential, like free agency, all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of keeps going slowly. It's not the same as football season, but yeah, it's not totally dead until June. That's when you struggle to fill a podcast. That's when you get the hot pockets out. Um, it was crazy when the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. People forget that the Super Bowl is a week before the combine or a couple weeks before the combine, I guess two weeks before the combine. So like the Super Bowl ended and then you just like blinked and the combine was on. It was that, that was crazy. All right. Next one. Here's from Nick Gilbert. 93 says, up guys, new subscriber here. And I've got a question. First of all, thank you for your support and thank you for joining us. He says, where do you see the records uh, of the AFC, AFC West being? I think it's fair to assume Denver is likely to be second or third place at best, but just curious where you see the rest of the teams. Any shot and LA takes the crown, a big downfall for KC. I think it's likely. I think we covered this one on a recent podcast, but Henry, I'll let you chime in with where you're feeling. Yeah, so, I mean, you said any chance LA takes the crown, I think they have to be the favorite. I think they have to be the favorite. Wow. Because they really don't lose much. On offense, they lose Tyrell Williams, which is, you know, significant. He's a good receiver, but they're also getting Hunter Henry back for a full season. And they're not asking, and like, how old was Antonio Gates last season? 36? Yeah. 37? Something like that with Virgil Green backing him up? That's not an impressive tight end group. So I think that that pretty much cancels out uh, losing Tyrell Williams. And they're basically just running it back this year. They still have that same secondary. Uh, the, only, the only question is whether Phillip Rivers falls off a cliff this year, which could happen, and at some point it will happen, but... That's not something I'm going to bet on. I think that they win 11 or 12 games, somewhere in that range, and I think that they win the AFC West. Kansas City's the really interesting one to me because obviously they were the best team in the division last year, one of the best teams in the league. Pat Mahomes is coming back after winning the MVP in his first season as a starter, but they lose Tyreek Hill. Do they lose Tyreek Hill? Uh, They have to, right? Like You can't bring a guy back after everything that comes out. So that's that is for me the the uh, I guess the teeter totter of this whole situation is if they have Tyreek Hill they have, to me they have to be the favorite if they 
don't have Tyreek Hill, then I would say L.A. on paper is the favorite. But we're also talking about the Chargers, and I don't I don't trust any team in sports less than I trust the Chargers. That's fair. They've been underperforming with Phillip Rivers for 15 years, 14, eh, maybe not that long, 10, 11 years. A decade. A decade at least. But, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, if they don't have Tyreek Hill, they really aren't that scary on offense anymore. Like, you have Pat Mahomes – you have Sammy Watkins, but Sammy Watkins caught 40 passes last year, and that was his best in the last three seasons. Yeah, and don't forget, Kareem Hunt's gone now. Yeah, Kareem Hunt's gone, and Chiefs fans will tell you that Damian Williams is just as good, but then he would have been playing the same amount of reps as Kareem Hunt when Kareem Hunt is there. And the team was different. Like If you go look at the numbers, they were not as good after Kareem, after they lost Kareem Hunt. So, yeah, you have Patrick Mahomes. You obviously have Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams, whoever you want to put in the backfield. They're going to get their yards just because of the threat of Patrick Mahomes. You take away Tyreek Hill, it, it literally takes a dimension away from the offense. Like, And I'm talking about like sectors of the field. You aren't going to have a guy who can just run 60 yards down the field and be open for Patrick Mahomes' cannon whenever he wants. Yeah, Tyreek Hill last season led the NFL in yards per touch, which isn't a surprise because he had, whatever, 1450 yards, something like that. But he was 12th all-time in yards per touch last season. It was a historically great season. Three of the guys in front of him were I think two of them were in the 40s. One was early 60s. So that puts him ninth in the Super Bowl era. Number one, Calvin Johnson in 2012. Number two, Rod Smith in 2000. Wow, what was his number? Uh, he had 16 yards per touch. Calvin oh. Johnson only had 16.1. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, but Super Bowl era, Calvin Johnson, Rod Smith, Jerry Rice, Andre Johnson, Antonio Brown, Dwight Clark, Julio Jones, then Tyree Kill last season. So literally like, a who's who of wide receivers in the Super Bowl. Exactly. Era. And now they lose Tyreek Hill, and who knows what happens. I mean, Tom Brady can win with nothing receivers. And Andy Reid, I think, can probably call plays as well as Josh McDaniels. It's not, yeah, it's not about, like, believing in Patrick Mahomes or believing in Andy Reid. Like, we know they're going to produce. The thing is, they were so unbelievable last year like the offense they put up was out of this world and they're going to have in my opinion a very real regression now how does that translate to wins and losses that's to be seen but they're going to be in a lot of close games in my opinion and this defense that they're bringing in obviously you know they invested a lot in terms of a new coach um they went and got two new pass rushers like they are trying to transform this defense usually, and remember, they're going from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Usually, that takes at least a year for the team to really adjust to that and for you to really be able to get the players that you need for you know a Steve Stagnolo to be able to succeed. So I think they're going to regress. I don't know where it happens in the win-loss column um, and how far down they will go. But I think it's going to be pretty jumbled at the top of this uh, division. And I think the Broncos will have a chance to be in the conversation. That's, you know, I don't know how late it'll be, but I think LA is going to underachieve. I think Kansas city is going to regress. They're still going to be really good, but I think the Broncos will have a chance to make a little bit of noise, make them a little bit of nervous, a little bit nervous up there at the top. Yeah. The chiefs kind of remind me of the, Dallas Cowboys from a few years ago when they had Dak Prescott and they had Zeke Elliott in their rookie years, won 13 games, 
Uh, did Zeke win the MVP and Dak won Rookie of the Year, something like that? Zeke win MVP? Was he? I, I think he might have been. Wow. Yeah, but then the next year they come back and they win nine games, which is still like a good season, but they regressed. I think that it's something similar for the Chiefs. I'd probably put them right about 10 wins. I think 10 is fair. But another interesting team for me, it's easy to forget about the Raiders, but they've made some some moves that could pay off for them. Things are starting to make more sense. And I know that we're still, what, four months away from the start of the season, and that's plenty of time for the Raiders to screw up everything, as we've seen in the past. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now at receiver, they have Antonio Brown, Tyro Williams, Hunter Renfro, instead of Jordy Nelson and Dwayne Harris. That's a big upgrade. It's a big upgrade. At tight end, they take the drop-off. They, they don't have Jared Cook anymore, but they have uh, Derek Carrier and Luke Wilson. Not as good, but then at running back, they use their first-round pick on Josh Jacobs to replace Doug Martin and Marshawn Lynch. Big upgrade. Another upgrade. Defensive line, Cleland Farrell. It's funny because Josh Jacobs kind of reminds me of a young Doug Martin. Interesting. I like that comp. I really do like that comp. Uh, yeah, but defense, Cleveland Farrell's there. Uh, Mo Hurst is now probably going to be starting. Jonathan Hankins is still there. Arden Key, who was a big name last year, maybe he steps up and produces. And he's replacing Bruce Irvin, who really did nothing for them, even though he was a big name. Then they add Brandon Marshall and Vontez Perfect, who knows how much juice is left in the tank for Perfect. But there's a way that all of this plays out really well for them. Yeah, you know, Normally in sports, most teams aren't like getting worse in the offseason. So you can point to the Broncos and say like, oh, well, they got better at quarterback, which I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe they do. Like anyone who's telling you that Joe Flacco and Case Keenum are equal just are, are looking at numbers instead of just seeing the actual players. Um, you can say, OK, well, they, you know, they upgraded there. They uh, upgraded their coaching staff. They upgraded their secondary if chris harris comes back but you go around and everyone's trying to upgrade everywhere so we'll see what happens um but i i think it is fair to say everything could come together for the raiders uh and the the only problem i have there is that Derek carr is not yeah good enough i don't yeah think. i don't think so either but they got him some help so you never know all right let's move on yeah, here let's move on uh greatest show on dirt we gave him a little bit of a uh, crap for hit, for getting a Shane Ray jersey after I think a TD jersey, uh, and he says my Shane Ray jersey was a gift from the in-laws, so I had no say in the matter. Don't judge my judgment. And then he takes a shot back. He says, I guess I should have taken RK's recommendation to get a Justin Simmons jersey from last off season. Don't write off Justin Simmons just yet. Yeah, I, I mean he didn't do what we wanted him to do last season. I mean, no, if you're no. talking about an exciting young safety, I think I'm going to bring up Will Parks. Same time I bring up Justin Simmons. Well, you just brought up Will Parks one more time than the entire Broncos coaching staff has this offseason. Yeah, there is that. And that's something scary because they've been talking about playing Kareem Jackson at safety. Yeah, because they don't like Will Parks. Ah, I just I just can't believe that. I can't believe it. Uh, who knows, though? I mean, they did also say Kareem Jackson will play some corner and it's easier to learn in the system than it is safety. So they want to give him the reps at safety first. But, yeah, they haven't been talking about Will Parks. They never talk about Will Parks. Um, but Justin Simmons, I think he is really set up for success in this system. You want to talk about versatility? This is a dude who can play free, strong, and slot corner. He's done all of them in a, in one game. So he's going to be very well set up to succeed in this, in this system that relies a lot on versatility. But anyways, 
I get your point. He didn't take the you know jump to a Pro Bowler that I thought he was going to last year. He says, on that note, what are the chances we see significant turnover in the secondary next year or even this year? Simmons underperforms. Will Parks doesn't get mentioned by the new staff. And Chris Harris Jr. is MIA. Would they use it as an opportunity to, again, spend multiple sec- picks on the secondary like the Parks and Simmons draft class? Yeah, how about that? Justin yeah. Simmons, contract year. Will Parks, contract year. Chris Harris Jr., contract year. That's actually – that's a little uh, – leaves you a little uneasy, I think. Yeah, it definitely leaves you uneasy. But I think it really could work out to the Broncos' advantage because we've seen for a few years now how all those guys play in different systems. Now the Broncos get one year to say, hey, we're going to evaluate you in this system, and if you fit, we get to bring you back. If you don't fit, then we get to move on easily. And there are a bunch of big contracts, like obviously in the secondary, but also – Vaughn Miller has a club option. Then on the defensive side, Derek Wolf is up. Shelby Harris is up. Uh, Dakota Watson, you know. But uh, Adam Gotsis, Billy Winch, Marco Thomas. I mean, they get to make some decisions on some guys after seeing them in the system, which could be huge. And that's kind of uh, what you want to be walking into when you are plugging in a new system. Yeah, but to answer your question, I mean, all of that, great point. To answer your question, yes, there could be a lot of turnover all of a sudden in, the, in this um – secondary you really there could be a situation where you know you come back next year without all three of those guys that we just mentioned harris uh parks and simmons if it doesn't work out or you know whatever there's you could have all new players there and and really have a need in the secondary going into next offseason when you already invested a lot into it this offseason yeah you get to see who fits bring those guys back and replace the guys who don't with the money that you would have spent And ideally, it all works out for all those guys in Denver. That way, you don't have to take a risk on another guy fitting into the system. But yeah, they could all be gone. They could all be back. It's really hard to say without seeing them play some games. It's interesting because I think it's a good evaluation of a draft class when you consider um, the guys who are about to come up on their contract, like potential losses. Like it didn't, it doesn't look all that great on paper, but. Parks, Simmons, and Gotsis are all guys that you feel like, oh, you would have to replace them if they left. Those are all from the same draft class. Like, and Janovich is in there too. You can you can look back on that and say, okay, you didn't get there was no star power, and obviously you screwed up with Paxton Lynch. But other than that, like, you got players that you can use. Well, and that's what you see good teams do. You see them retain their stars and then plug in the other pieces where they need to plug them in. That's been the strategy for, I mean. The Seahawks are a great example. The Packers are a great example. How they can just stay relevant, keeping the same big-name guys, but then filling the rest with where you need to fill them in. And they've been able to do that through the draft so that they can afford to keep the key guys. You want to know an interesting stat I saw today, and maybe you saw it, but if not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you on it. What NFL team do you think has the most players who are 30 years old or older in, in, in the league? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... Would it be a team like the Patriots? It would be the Patriots. Ah. But that doesn't fit the narrative at all. The narrative is that the Patriots move on from guys before they get old, right? Yeah, but at the same time, they bring in some guys who are old. Demarius Thomas being an example from this offseason. They find guys that fit and get everything they can out of them. And when they think a guy's declining, they get rid of them. veteran minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Patriots have 15 guys on their roster 30 years old or older. That's pretty incredible. The Broncos have eight. They're right around the middle of the pack. Um, the Chiefs only have four, which is like 
it's interesting. It was just an interesting little spreadsheet to look at. Um, interestingly enough, the Broncos second highest paid player on the team. Joe Flacco is the oldest player on the team. Huh? I don't know what to read into that. I don't either, but it's just interesting. I mean, He's the oldest player on the team, and he's just going into his prime, according to John Elway. <laughs> All his right. Prime. Next one here is from Pastor Rhett. He says, I've bought two jerseys, and I have awful luck. First, I bought a jersey that I thought was going to be good for the next 10 years and probably the rest of my life because I chose to wear the jersey of our young gun franchise quarterback, Jay Cutler. I had two of those. Oh, wow. Two different colors? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, two different colors. Wow. He's uh, Henry actually was was talking about how he was listening to our last podcast and he's like I was talking about how I wore a jersey every day. He's like I also wore a jersey every day all the way through fifth grade, not just third like Ryan. All the so every day, literally every day, every day, and like they're Broncos jerseys. I didn't have many Rockies jerseys. Uh, had some arena football jerseys. Uh, there was that quarterback uh from the Crush Dutton. Yeah, something. Yes. yeah, John Dutton. John Dutton. That's right. I had one of his. I had some obscure ones too. Who was the wide receiver on uh, that team? Oh, on that team, number one. That I wanted that. I think I still have the draft in my emails when I was like putting together my shopping list for school. I was gonna <laughs> send it to my mom. It's just a list of jerseys. But he was on there. What was his name? I don't know, but he was sick. I loved the crush. Like me too. Watching arena football with like a Colorado tie in the off season was great. Seriously, I never got to go to one of the games. Obviously, being up in Montana, but I always wanted to, and I'd watch him. I got the chance. There was a video game even. I got the video game and played that all the time. That's hilarious. Oh, it's the best. All right. Well, going on, he says, I even bought a size large so I could grow into it. I had it for one season before the pipe bomb that was the Josh McDaniels era blew up in our collective faces. Then in 2013, I was ready to try the jersey game again, and I bought an Eric Decker jersey. At first, it was great. I wore it at Arrowhead the day he caught four TDs from PFM, maybe the greatest sports day of my life. But again, after one season, he leaves for the Jets. Since then, I've stuck to a ratty Jake Plummer jersey, and he hasn't left yet. For the good of us all, I think I'll refrain from further Broncos jersey ventures. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. I mean, I had a, I had a Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Oof. Uh, Travis Henry. Uh, Javon Walker was only here for a couple minutes, and we barely remember him. Sometimes, sometimes jerseys just don't work out, though, and you, you like look at the contract and make sure you're making a good decision. See, that's what I was going to say about the Eric Decker purchase. Why'd you buy it in his contract year? Yeah, you can't be buying jerseys for a contract year. The only t- uh, you either would say buy like a rookie that you're really excited about, although that's a risk too, or a guy. The, the best time is like if you bought a Von Miller jersey right after the Super Bowl, like you knew that was going to be topical for a while. Yeah, or even even in the last couple of years, if you'd bought a Demarius Thomas jersey, sure he's off the team now, and it might feel weird to wear it this season, and I don't think he plays another season after this year, but then all of a sudden you have a Demarius Thomas jersey, and he's a Broncos icon and will be for forever. Yeah, uh, I actually mentioned that, I think, on this podcast the other day, that they're selling Demarius Thomas jerseys for like $40 at the team store. I'm like, that's just a good a long-term buy. Yeah. Invest in that now, and then, you know, even if you have to wait 10 years, which you, you won't, but 10 years from now, like, that's a really cool jersey. Yeah, and there are other guys who, I mean, he played his whole career here. That's an easy one that people love for forever. But 10, 15 years from now, you pull out a TJ Ward jersey, I think you're going to get some high fives. You are, for sure. And uh, on that note, I went and got a Chauncey Billups Nuggets jersey the day after they traded him. I was like, I'm not mad at Chauncey. Like, I'm going to love Chauncey forever. He's a buff and a great nugget. 
and I got the jersey for like $35. Yeah, I've got the uh, Chauncey Billups Buffs jersey in my closet. Ooh, that's a good one. All right, um, next one here comes in from Stoy. He says, here's my best guess at why it might make sense to pay Chris Harris Jr. for one more year. From a behavioral economics perspective, I have no idea what that is. Oh, I love behavioral economics. Oh, I was an econ major, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. I haven't taken a behavioral class since my freshman year, but I'm, I'm down to see where this goes. All right. He says, uh, under that uh, umbrella, feeling valued is a huge motivator. While money in itself isn't a strong motivator, the perception of being underpaid is a huge demotivator. So here's the 40 chess move. We know a division rival wants to sign Harris, who is in the twilight of his prime. For a couple million dollars, LA can optimize Chris's motivation for maximal performance this season. This will result in a better on-field product, but more importantly, it will inflate his value, ensuring that the division rival overpays year after year throughout Chris Harris's inevitable decline. How likely is it for that to be LA's reasoning? Somewhere between not very and LOL what? So... If I took a behavioral economics class four years ago and barely remember any of it, when would John Elway have taken a behavioral economics class? I'm going to put it somewhere between never and definitely never. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea. Make the guy happy. Did behavioral hey, economics even exist when John Elway was in No, college? it didn't. I didn't even think of that. No, it's like a new thing. Basically, the concept behind behavioral economics is that standard economics assumes that everybody is acting rationally. And so behavioral economics just says, no, none of this will actually work in real life. The models won't help at all because people don't even understand the theories behind their decisions. So you just have to treat them like people who don't know what they're doing. So if I'm understanding correctly, behavioral economics assumes that all people are equal. That they're just... Sorry, no. Standard economics assumes that all people are equal. Whereas behavioral economics takes into account that there are they're humans yeah so like if somebody said like there's a 75 percent chance of getting ten dollars or a 25 percent chance of getting nothing somebody would say like i'll take 750 instead and just balance out those odds if you offer them more they'll take it if you offer them less they won't far, but in real life nobody's doing that math far too much math i'm you've already lost me um <laughs> i like your your idea up until the point of like trying to make him play better so that he costs more for other people next year I think in, a, in an ideal world, actually, I don't know. I, I guess in an ideal world, the Broncos like win the Super Bowl and Chris Harris is like, I'm never leaving. I'll take whatever, you know, but that's probably not likely. Either. No. Um, from Mike Apexa, he says, regarding losing the divisions, and we had this conversation last week about if we should just get rid of division, or actually the question was, should we get rid of division winners playing in the playoffs and just go with the best teams? Um your thoughts love the divisions i mean they're talking about this stuff in the nba too just on the first the first part should winning your division guarantee you a top four seed in the playoffs 100 percent. really oh yeah you need the rivalries that's what it's all about you're i'm not asking you though to take away the divisions oh no like i i understand that but make that make the rivalries mean more by making them play for something i mean it's like baseball is the extreme example it wasn't until the 90s that anybody other than the division winners even got to play in the playoffs. So the best thing we came up with, I thought was winning your division guarantees you a playoff spot, but it doesn't guarantee you seating. If you can't win your division, you shouldn't have a better shot than a team that won the division. I mean, think about, um, let's say what, what's a good division. What's a good division this season. Uh, maybe, maybe the NFC West. 
So sure. you have the Seahawks who could be playing well. You have the 49ers who could be playing well. Uh, Cardinals are the best team in football. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, we'll see about that. And then uh, the Rams obviously are great. Those teams are all just stealing wins from each other. Like, you you drop any of those teams in the NFC East, I think that they're going to be doing much better. They're going to pump up those win numbers. And, you know, so... I, I see your point. I see your point. Yeah, you can't just be going off of straight wins because there's more to it than that. Some teams have tougher schedules, and also that makes them play for something. Like, make those rivalries as intense as you can because they know that this game means more than it would if it was just, like who places the best out of the 16 teams instead of out of these four. It just adds this extra element. So there's 16 teams in each um, conference, right? Yep. What if, and and I'm just going crazy here, obviously there'd be one difference. What if you just played each team in your conference one time and then obviously there'd be one team. Oh, no, yeah, you, you could just play each team, 15-game schedule or 16-game schedule. So you'd have to play one team from the other side? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could have like one designated rival. Right. Oh, so you play them twice. Like you play the Raiders twice and you play everyone else in the AFC once. You never play the NFC. Uh, don't like it. I mean, <laughs> okay. okay. Would you really trade a second Chiefs game to be able to see what the Dolphins every season, the Jets every season? Yeah. You see, you're thinking from like a uh, consumer perspective. I'm thinking of it more of like, what's the most fair way to get the best teams into the playoffs? Because yeah. then, like, it's, it would never happen. It's it would not never happen. happen. Because, we, as we mentioned last time, people want to go to a Chiefs game more than they want to go to a Dolphins game. And in the end, it's all about money. Anyways, Micah Pexa has an idea here. He says, I think there's a way to keep all the divisions as they are. If the teams play each other twice a year, the natural rivalries will continue just due to fil- familiarity and past history. Also, the division winner gets bragging rights and a banner for their stadium. Don't hang banners for division wins anyways uh not sure if they already do this but some kind of nfl um paid bonus money for each player on the winning team would raise the stakes too your thoughts um so i guess what he's saying is get rid of the divisions have the top six teams in the playoffs just based on record but still play the teams two times a year yeah i mean i think that creates an issue though where like if you're in a really bad division and you just get a bunch of wins off of crappy teams. Like the Patriots every yes. single year. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Drop Switch is already moving one full offseason ahead. He says, happy Monday, guys. Hope you had a great weekend. Who do you expect to be re-signed and who do you expect to be let go next offseason? Have to look up the chart of who's contracted up. I think you actually mentioned quite a few yeah. earlier in the podcast. So let's start with the ones that are just off the top of my head. Justin Simmons, I expect to be back. Yep. Will Parks? Uh, I mean, I, I would say, based off of performance, I would say yes, he should definitely be back. Based off of what I'm hearing from this coaching staff, I don't think they like his style of play. I don't think so either. And if they have Kareem Jackson actually playing safety, I mean, are you really going to pay extra money to a guy who's going to be your third safety? I don't think so. Yeah. Adam Gotsis. I could see a scenario where he comes back on a a cheap deal. Like he's unless he balls out this season, he's not going to go get paid. And he has been, you know, he's learned under Kolar. He was a draft pick, so he gets that in his favor. I could see a scenario where they sign him to a a reasonable deal. Yeah, I think that he just fits in well 
with what Kolar likes to do, which is rotate a bunch of defensive linemen. He's not going to be too expensive because he fills a role. He isn't an every-down player who you expect to be dominant. And I think that that's something you can invest in. I think that that's something that they have invested in in the past. I mean, Shelby Harris, for example. He's not out there, but he's not out there every play, but he's contributing. Uh, another draft pick, Andy Janovich. The funny thing here is this Andy Janovich's value should have gone up with this new offense. But I'm subscribing to Zach's theory that they're going to take George Aston and put him on the practice squad for a year so they don't have to pay Jano, and then they'll just make Aston the fullback next year. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how much they use the fullback. I'm, the thing about that is that they really won't get a chance to see how Aston performs on special teams because right now that's most of what Janovich does. So if it ends up being that they use the fullback a bunch and that becomes where his value is more than the special teams, then then maybe they can say we've seen Aston in practice and he can fill that role. But if it's about special teams, you have a guy who you know can play and a guy who you're saying is big and fast, but we haven't actually seen him do it. True. Who else is uh, on that list? So here are a couple big names. Emmanuel Sanders. Wow. Um, uh, it's a weird one. It's it a, weird a weird one. one. I guess it just depends on how he comes back from this injury. If he comes back and he's their number one, then I bet you he's back. Because they don't have somebody who can fill the shoes. I mean, maybe Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton step up, but that but, that's not a solid receiving group right now. Yeah, Emmanuel is like the perfect in-between between Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton, like those two styles of receivers. He's a really hard guy to replace just because there's not a lot, a lot like him. Now, the other thing is the Broncos are picking in the top half of the draft next year. That is an absolutely stacked wide receiver class like one of the best we've seen in a long long time so is there anybody who uh could be going in the top half of that draft at receiver that you would be particularly interested in yes 100 percent lavisca chenault yeah um i mean he is he's everything but <laughs> you've got i mean you've got jerry judy you've got t higgins coming from clemson like and, and that's maybe even the most the best comparison there but like this is a absolutely stacked wide receiver class so maybe they just look and say hey let's let's go get you know drew lock a weapon in the first half of the draft first ha half of the first round and we can move on from emmanuel sanders because i do think that emmanuel sanders would have to be replaced i don't think they could just fill all of their receiver roles with guys in house but that's a super young receiving group all of a sudden you have a couple guys in their third year matched up with a guy in his first year and they're supposed to be your offense I don't know. That's scary, especially because you look at the running backs too. Phil Lindsay and Royce Freeman coming back. The tight ends. The tight ends are young. Jeff Hireman's the old man, and he'd be what, 26, 27? I mean, I don't know. That scares me, having just all youth at all the skill positions on offense, except for the old man at quarterback. Yeah, and it might not even be that anymore. Who knows? Starting next season. All right, who else is on the list? Derek Wolf. He's not going to be here. I don't think so. I mean, we were going to be we were surprised he was here last year. We yep. thought he could be gone. I don't know. I just don't see them investing the money. Uh, Shelby Harris. He'll be back. I think so, too. Um, Dakota Watson. Eh, yeah. We'll see. Kevin Hogan. OK, uh, well, we're, yeah, we're done. No, that's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one here is a long one. It comes in from Ubeni Lava. He says, sup, boys. I haven't commented it in a hot minute. So this may end up being a long one. Maybe we'll see. Spoiler alert, it was. <laughs> he says that I have an idea about this Chris Harris Jr. contract thing. What if the reason Elway's considering a raise this year is to get a good look at Chris after his injury to see what his value actually is? 
The move would simultaneously put Chris's mind at ease and make him feel valued while buying John some time to look at Chris and the defense as a whole to see if he wants to make a long-term offer. I know Harris's injury wasn't as major as it could have been, but the fact of the matter is he is an aging DB coming off an injury. We don't know how well he'll perform. LA has, a pretty regu- has pretty regularly extended players midseason, and I could see a similar situation playing out here. All right, here's the thing. He did not get injured. Like, I realize he had to miss two to three weeks, but it's like saying like he stubbed his toe and he's coming off an injury. Like He had a tiny, tiny hairline fracture in his leg that was healed, and, and like he told us, he could have been ready for week 17 if that was an important game. So I, he's not – like. Do you, would you say that Deshaun Hamilton is coming off of an injury? No. Right. He missed a couple games in the middle of the season, like almost all players do. And he, he was back, and, and we don't even think about it anymore. That Chris Harris Jr., I feel the same way. The only reason he didn't play is because the games were meaningless. He could have played, and he would have just been another guy who missed a couple games in the middle of the season and came back. And a broken leg is a serious injury, but to me, that's one of those things where either your leg is broken or it's fine. It's not, it's not like a bad ankle that could flare back up. Or Emmanuel Sanders with the Achilles, where who knows if that heals right. I mean, there are questions with things that aren't bones. With bones, to me, maybe you miss a couple times lifting, but nine months later, I think his leg is healed and he should be good to go. Yeah, I mean, think of it this way. This is an injury that if it was in his arm, he wouldn't have missed any time. None. Just wrap it up and you're fine. Yeah. And it'll heal at the end of the season. So, um I get that idea, but I think it's I, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, Chris's injury was far too minor for that to be a oh, we need to see what we can get out of him. And if you're and if you're doing that, why would you pay him extra money? Yeah, if I don't you just know. want to see how he's coming back from an injury and you're concerned about that, then you're not giving him an extra you know, free couple million dollars. No, you're not. I think that the other part of that, he isn't going to be evaluated based on the injury, but like we said before, I think he will be evaluated in the system to see whether, I mean, he's been a press man guy. How much does he add as a guy who can read and react? Yep. Uh, he goes on, I was recently watching some of last year's games, and every time Jano is on the field, he basically murders somebody. There's absolutely no way this no-necked dude is going to take his job. Uh, there was one play specifically against the Steelers where he picked up a blitz from the middle linebacker, Bostic, I think, and not only stopped his forward momentum, he picked him up and planted him, laid on him for like three seconds, giving Keenum the time to find a third down conversion. Box- Bostic didn't blitz again the entire rest of the game. That's the kind of play that can be so demoralizing. Love that dude. Don't write off no-neck Aston. No, well, I mean, no-neck, I'm not sure about that. I think his neck is just so massive it doesn't look like there's one. Like, it's so wide. Like, sure, it's a little short, but it's massive. Yeah, exactly, but it looks like he has no neck at all because it's so – his shoulders and neck is all just one piece. I know, but I just feel bad. Like, obviously, that guy has been working out to make his neck that big. Like, he probably takes pride in the size of his neck and just saying, like, it doesn't exist. Eh, I don't know. Well, because it just goes traps to ears. <sighs> yeah. There's no neck Yeah, there. yeah, but at the same time, it's all neck. I don't so you're know. Like I don't know. Super neck. Super neck. Yeah, it's it's it. All right. I don't know how to evaluate. Necks. Also, I feel like if you have no neck, you're way less injury prone as a fullback. True. So true. Because all you do is just put your head down and ram into people. Yeah, exactly. Just saying. Watch out for super neck. No neck. The guy. Anyways, the he says all this Iowa talk has me wondering if I'm a neighbor with any BSNers. How about this, Henry? Perfect timing. He says I live in Bozeman, Montana. So if there's any Montanans. Holla at your boy. Yeah, so obviously there's one right here, but I'm gone now. Now I'm a 
Denverite? Is that what yes. it is? Okay. Yep. It's not just the name of that newspaper. Nope. That's not a newspaper, but yes. Oh, it's just the website. Whatever it is. I'm new here. Yeah, Denverites. I, I've only ever heard that in Colorado. There's Denverites and Boulderites. Yeah. I've only ever been an ite in my life. Uh-huh. What do they call the people from Columbia Falls? Uh, I don't think they call them anything. <laughs> Nobody ever talks about Columbia Falls. There's no reason to. All right, Nothing how about Missoula? Missoulians. Yep. It's also the name of the newspaper. Oh, the Missoulian. Yep. I like it. Um, there's also um, a debate in Colorado of, over whether it's Coloradans or Coloradoans. Uh, Coloradans. Uh, Calo- oh. I, I think Coloradans. I think I like Coloradans. I like it much better. Yeah, me too. Um, anyways. He's, he goes on and says, I'm moving to New Orleans at the end of the summer, though, so I guess if there's n- any New Orleaner- New Orleaners... Sure. I kind of would prefer it if it was New Orleaners. New Orleans. I I don't know. I don't know. That's he says New Orleaners. People from Feel New free Orleans. To haul as well. I think there are a couple people down there in the bayou, if I remember correctly. Finally, he says, sorry for the long comment, but these barely one-hour pods have got to get longer one way or another. Also, I feel like you two really hit a stride as of late. And sound like you're truly having a blast every time you record. Your chemistry is undeniable and your laughter is infectious. Keep up the good work. Much love, fam. Yeah, so... You're breaking our We ruined that. <laughs> we ruined that. <laughs> Why you gotta come in here and mess up the chemistry? Oh, it's not me. It's Zach going to run on the city streets for paying for it, whatever. I wonder yeah. how he did. Do we have a time? Has he tweeted about that? We don't have a time yet from Zach in the Boulder Boulder. Boulder Boulder. What a name. Yes, it is a great name. But we can... Uh, I can talk to some sources and see if we know how... How Zach did. All right. Thank you. Maybe for the third segment. For the third segment. And speaking of the third segment, let's take a break right here. And when we come back, we will do the third segment. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here. And I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, Uh, The Buffalo Chicken Wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Final segment here on the BSN Broncos podcast, and the people got their wish. We are already over an hour on this podcast, so. It doesn't feel like it. I know. That's good. Yeah. Maybe I'm, like, carrying on Zach's chemistry. Maybe I'm not ruining it. You're going to have to leave that up to the listeners. Yeah, okay. Uh, From... A new name from an old commenter, Make the Broncos Great Again. He says, I was formerly Bleeding Orange since 1983, and I just realized that my username is very similar to several other members, and I didn't want to steal anyone's thunder, pun intended. Mm, Thunder. So I changed my screen name. I had a hat made this past year that looks just like a MAGA hat, but it's blue and orange with letters that read, Make the Broncos Great Again. I get so many sideways looks, then when people actually read the hat, they bust out laughing. Brought a smile to my face in the midst of another miserable season last year. Speaking of laughing, if anyone out there is having a bad day, simply go on YouTube and search New York Giants draft reaction and all of your troubles will be washed away. Enjoy and keep up the great work. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, up in Montana, we see plenty of the regular MAGA hats. And <laughs> don't so, go there. No, I'm, not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. That's all I'm going to say. So, <laughs> yeah. It would uh, be a surprise to see the Broncos. Before, one. like, there was a time when it was really cool to have one that said, make CU great again. Mm. But then it kind of became unironic later down the mm. road. I'll leave it at that. We'll From Tokyo Bronco. Uh, he says, first off, to clear the air on yesterday's you guys rule fiasco. Did you hear that? No. Uh, there's He commented twice. And one of them, he finished it by saying, you guys rule. The other one, he didn't. And I was reading the first one. And Zach was reading the second one. And he read at the end, he's like, you guys rule Tokyo Bronco. And I was like, <laughs> why did you just make that up? But you didn't say that at all. And yeah, it was a huge fiasco. Oh, Anyways, wow. he says... I added that into my po- comment when I first because when I first went to post it, I was given a prompt saying I had already posted the comment. So I added it at the end so it would go through. But then the original comment made it on there. Regardless, you guys deserve all the compliments you can get. Thank you. Secondly, about the hot water thing. Did you catch the hot water thing? No, I missed that. That must have <laughs> been the same pod. It probably was. The hot water thing, we were talking about how in... I was talking about China. He's talking about Japan here. Um, they don't drink like ice cold water they drink it hot is that real how sure are we i was pretty sure and now he's doubling down and i think there's another comment on this podcast about it in china so it's real huh that's really tough to believe because that sounds horrible i agree anyways he says in japan it's very much the same viewpoint from what i've been told the theory behind it is that warm water does a better job of flushing fats and oils from your body just think about heating up a cube of fat didn't really want to do that today, but now I have. He says it instantly <laughs> turns into liquid. It's true. It's Does, like I mean, I know congealed. nothing about that. Big word there. And it's then you heat word. it up and it turns into liquid. Like think about bacon grease. You take yeah. bacon grease, you put it into a jar because yeah. you can't put it down the um whatever you call it, the garbage disposal. Okay. So yeah. then after it cools, turns into heat a thing, right? A, yes. a, a hard thing. It congeals. Congeals. <laughs> so he says in Asia. Most people believe that cold water works to congeal. Oh, look, he got oh. that in there too. The fats and oils you digest, which leads to increased weight gain and lower health. Okay. He says, even though this makes sense to me, I'll never give up on an ice cold glass of water. Yeah, I guess I just don't know enough about where things go when you eat them. Like, does does it, isn't it just like a tube? Like, it goes from your throat. Like, is my throat covered in fat? Like, how far <laughs> does it? I don't I don't know what's getting that's uncongealed. Actually, um actually people have died from trying to huff pam because of that very thing it it, like congealed in their throats anyways good to know dark very good to know um here's my problem with that have you ever heard of like bro science just like people just like think they're like oh well this makes sense because this this and that Mm, isn't the inside of your body already at a a nice 98.6 degree temperature yeah how hot's the water we drinking well, it doesn't matter. It's how cold the water you drink. Mm. Even if it congealed the fats temporarily from them being cold, they would just get warmed right back up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense to me. I don't... <laughs> it, none of this seems... I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll have to do some more of our own research and figure it out for tomorrow. All right. Anyways, uh, he finishes here with a, a recommendation for you. Oh, perfect. He says, have you, ever got, have you guys ever tried Switchback Barbecue in Kittredge, Colorado? It's just down the road from Evergreen on your way to Morrison and Red Rocks. When I was living in Evergreen, it was my weekend go-to spot. I'll even go out on a limb and say it's the best barbecue in the Denver metro area. If you haven't been and decide to go, beware of the long lines in the summertime. 
They sell barbecue by weight, or you can have one of their amazing sandwiches. I'm a big fan of their fried pickles as well. Mm, love fried pickles. I'm definitely going to try that place out. That's a quick drive, and you can go by the Buffalo Herd Overlook on your way there. Ooh, what's that? It's just a buffalo herd, and you, you can overlook it. They just like stay down there. Well, you don't. You shouldn't overlook it because then you won't see it. But you should look <laughs> right at it. <laughs> but, but like, it's just like a the pit filled with buffaloes or something because they're like looking, like if it's an overlook you're like up above as someone from montana you're like oh we see buffaloes every day yeah like in the wild but they're they don't just sit in one place it's not like a zoo well this is like <laughs> <laughs> this is like someone owns a buffalo herd oh and there happens you to can be, just own a buffalo herd yeah, same way you can own a cattle herd i don't know about that yeah Aren't they, like, endangered? They're supposed to be wild animals. Like, I understand owning cattle because you're, like, farming them. I guess they must just be farming the buffalo. I don't know what they're doing. I don't doing. know. I don't I don't know. want to know what they're doing. Anyways, but you can there's just a go road that drives by it, but there's also an exit <sighs> that you can drive up and look at them and you take pictures. You can pictures just go look at the guy's buffalo. Yeah. He just leaves them there. And they're cool. Oh, I will. Anyways. And it's on the way to the place where I'm going to go eat. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Make sure you stop and see the buffaloes. I won't miss it. All right. Um... I think that's all we got there from him. So we move on from uh, Shy Guy, spelled C-H-I. He says, hey there, there was a comment about Chicago pizza that a New York subscriber, which I will not name, posted. Chicago pizza is the very reason why the population in this area is on average three pounds heavier than the rest of the nation. It has been called the city of big shoulders. I don't think I agree with that. It's the city of large appetites. Denver is my team in football, but I will never say that there is another city that can play ball in the same league with Chicago when it comes to pizza. I like the capital P pizza there, though, because Chicago is the real pizza. Oh, you're going there, huh? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm an equal opportunity pizza eater. I would say there's something to be said for all types of pizza. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but that's that's a cop-out. If, if you have to pick, like, one pizza... For the rest of your life, you wouldn't go with the Chicago pizza? I would 100% go with New York style. Huh. I just like the thin crust. It crunches. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I see that. But When like, I think pizza, that's what I think. Okay. That's fair. But I mean... Like if I say you want to go get a slice of pizza, you're not thinking of like a seven inch deep pie. I'm 100% not thinking about that. But if you said I want to go get Chicago pizza, I'm going to be more excited than if you say I want to go get a piece of New York pizza. All right. Fair enough. Well, he says, uh, whether it be Gino's East, Giordano's, or Lou Malnati's, Chicago is the bomb when it comes to pizza and steak burritos. But I'll save that for another comment. Being born in Denver, I say I'll agree with Ryan that there ain't night, ain't nothing quite like that Rocky Mountain water. If I had a microphone, I would drop it. This is Shy Guy in Chicago, over and out. Uh, I'll say this. Lou Malnati's was the one who had the sausage crust pizza Ooh. that I had when I was out there because it's keto-friendly. Oh, of course. And that was amazing. But the re- the regular pizzas they had also looked amazing. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, we just got a Giordano's in Denver, right? I we, think Oh, is that a thing? Like about a year ago, they just opened one on 16th Street Mall. So good. Sweet. Well, whenever I go back to the carb life, I'll have to try that out. I will be ready. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like Chicago style pizza should just be called something else. Yeah. I mean, it's totally different. It is totally it's different. It's great in its own right, but it's, it's so different from pizza. Like, and I think I want it in a different situation too. Like, like when it's 2 a.m., I'm not craving like a Chicago pizza, but right. for a meal, a Chicago pizza, like, filled with, like, sausage, the sauce, the cheese, like, it just, I don't know. It, it just seems to be, like, of a higher quality than the New York-style pizza. Well, because it's really like a, it's like a pizza 
casserole. Yeah. And it's so good. A pan made of bread. Which sounds incredible, <laughs> yes, right? Like <laughs> I'm not hating. Like you know I'm not hating. I, I there's like I said, there's something to be said for all types of pizza. There really is. All right, here we go. From Chris O'Brien. He says on the topic of Chinese water. I spent a week in China in 2015. First of all, and he just said first of all, but I'm saying first of all. The amount of conversation we've had about simple just H2O on this podcast is kind of impressive. It is. It's, yeah. All right. Well, and says, I've had so many thoughts, too, when I'm listening from home and I don't have any, I don't get to say anything about how's that, it. How's that water that comes right off the glacier in Montana? Oh, so fresh. Oh, so fresh. Like, all the water there is great. Like, we were just talking yesterday. Go out to Flathead Lake every, like, few months on Twitter, Instagram, that did you know picture pops up of a lady laying on air mattress. And you can see see her... Uh, above the rocks bottom of the lake and it says did you know that flathead lake is 400 and something feet deep you can see all the way to the bottom the that's water crazy. there is so fresh that's crazy better than colorado water no yeah uh he says first of all authentic chinese food especially szechuan food is so much better than american style chinese even though i love that too i, I believe that um we found a restaurant that we must have eaten at four times because it was so good they serve their tea scalding hot so like a good american i let it cool down before drinking it consistently he says the servers would take my cooled off water and bring me back a fresh cup of burning hot water it was infuriating <laughs> at first but by the end of the week it was something you just had to laugh at and to keep on topic with the pod go broncos or whatever maybe we need to try the hot water i'm not doing that i literally I mean, have a device right here you can hear the ice jingling yeah. around in oh it. yeah this is designed to never let this not only not let it get hot not even let it get above freezing what if you put hot water in it, though? Would it just keep that water hot? Uh, there is a big thing on, the, on here that says do not put hot water in here. I okay, think. yeah. Hot contents can create internal pressure, resulting in discharge of hot liquids that can cause injury. Do not use this product with hot <laughs> liquids. If it can happen in this water bottle, that can happen in your body. Yeah, but isn't that the point internal of it? Internal pressure. Yeah, you're trying to uncongeal the fat. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're trying to create internal pressure so you can digest. Exactly. Oh, Trust wow. them. I mean, if the keto thing's working as well as it seems to be working, why not try like the uncongealed, the fat? I don't know how any of this works. I Hen can't keep pretending I do. Henry just looked me up and down when he said as good as it seems to be <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty weird because he's sitting there in a tank top too. <laughs> yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. Don't set the... Uh, all right, that just got weird. It did get weird. And David Dahl just hit a home run. Uh, anyways... From Boris the Blade. Sounds like a new new uh, commenter here. Sounds like says, a... Yo, RK and Henry. He didn't actually say that. He said Zach. Longtime <laughs> listener. Wish I could be more involved, but I'm listening from the sticks. What's that? I feel like you should know. You're from Montana. Oh, is that Montana? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the sticks is more in the south, I believe. It's mm. just like the woods. Oh, a, a cool okay. name for the woods. That is a cool name for the woods. I'm going to use that, too. Uh, he says, love y'all. But vomit at the mention of anything CU Boulder or CU. Go Lambs. Sorry for your loss. Uh, he says his first jersey, which is on brand for his football fandom, was an Ashley Lalee number 85 jersey. Mm, I actually really wanted one of those back in the day. It's a cool name. A great name. Good number. Looked good on the jersey. I understand yeah. it. He said, I told my girlfriend he was the next big thing, so she bought me the jersey for my birthday. Then he stopped showing up for practice. Later, I saw my jersey on a homeless guy in Montrose. <laughs> now I only buy jerseys from retired Bronco stars, currently rocking a number 27 Atwater, a signed number 20 27 Atwater from Ultimate Cred. You know what jersey I really, really wanted? Like one that I just couldn't get over. What? 
So my dad would never actually let me buy it, and he was totally right. But Lance Ball. Yeah, he was right on that one for sure. Yeah, no, he was totally right. I was sure he was going to be like the next big thing, though, like third string running back. When when even was that? It was like that was 2010. the Tebow era, right? Uh, I think it was. He got some run in the Tebow era yeah. behind Willis McGee. I think he might have had like one big game. Maybe not. He might not have. I, I, uh, I don't remember. There was that time, though, where, where like every running back seemed like they were the next big thing. Yeah, I guess running backs just, I don't know. The one I always point to is Ryan Terrain. Yes. Do you remember him out oh, of ASU? Yeah. And I just, like, he just came in one week and ran for, like, 115, and I was like, oh, my God, he's great. And then he got injured. It was that one season where, like, every running back they put out there got injured, and then they just put in another one, and he had a 100-yard game. Yeah, was that the season that they signed? Wasn't my, Was it Tatum Bell they brought back from, like, a Verizon store? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was an AT&T store. Oh, was it AT&T? I think so. We should probably figure that out. It's important. All right. He says, Ryan, I hear your assertion that you can't ruin a quarterback. And this is a weird turn, he says. But can we admit that Trevor could have been a legit quarterback? I realize this is old news, but what better time of year to address it? Eh. I'm not ready to admit that. Eh. If Zach was here, he would be all about it. You you, you picked the wrong day to comment <laughs> when Zach wasn't here. All right, here's my thing about Trevor Simeon. What is your de- def, uh, definition of a legit quarterback? Because for me, a legit quarterback is someone who can be good enough to win a Super Bowl. Uh, he, he was not that. He exactly. was not that at all. But, yeah. I mean, as, as has been said plenty of times, he's a guy who's going to probably be in the league for a dozen years as a backup quarterback. Like, that's a great job to have. I'd kill for that job. No, no offense, Ryan, after you give me this job. but like. <laughs> uh, I'd let you take that one because then you could invest in the company. So true. Um, I just, Conflict of interest. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Eh, it's overrated. Anyways, <laughs> I just – I don't think he had the tools. Like, at a certain point, you have to have all the tools to be able to get to a certain level, and he didn't have it. His arm was, like, way overblown. He did not have a great arm. He threw a great spiral, that's for sure, and that kind of helped him to be, you know, a, a better passer of the football. But remember, like, the whole story about how he was, like, throwing spirals through, mm-hmm. like, 40-mile-per-hour mm-hmm. winds at Notre Dame, and that's how Gary sure. Kubik – it's like, yeah, he didn't he didn't have like an impressive arm by any stretch of the mind. So that was a, a red flag for me that started to come up and you saw that become an issue for him more and more. He wasn't really mobile, but he also wasn't great in the pocket. It's just there's too many things where I'm just like, yeah, he didn't have those things. That's why he was an under. That's why he was a late seventh round pick. Yeah. And I don't I don't think he had the mentality for it either. He had the mind like I, I think he could understand how to run an offense, all of the kinds of things you need a quarterback to do but he never seemed like a guy who was going to like rally the troops and put them on his back and go win a football game because that's just not who he was he's a great backup quarterback in that in every category you're like huh yeah pretty good but nothing really that special there's one thing his career was missing and it was the story about how competitive he is in ping pong yes all great quarterbacks yes. have the ping pong story yes he didn't have totally. the ping pong story did paxton lynch have one of those no no Paxton Lynch could be described as a ping pong, I feel like. But <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but it just seems no, like... No, it does sound right. Paxton Lynch is totally a ping pong. around over here. Uh, where, where is he? Is he in Seattle now? Uh, He's still there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyways, he finishes and says, love you guys. Try ramen with an egg, a dash of teriyaki sauce, and crispy onions from the end caps in the produce section. I don't spend enough time in the produce section to know what that is. Neither do I. Okay. Uh, but it sounds good. It does sound good. Do they have 
real ramen in Montana? Not I haven't found it. Top ramen. I'm sure somewhere they must be, but I haven't seen it. All right. From Burrito Chad. It says, hey, dudes, I'm not a fan of the draft lottery idea, but I also see a benefit to creating systems that discourage tanking. My personal belief is that there should be financial penalties given to the teams with the worst record. For example, the bottom 10 teams would have to pay off the playoff bonuses to the players who made the playoffs. Or teams pay the playing time bonuses given to players across the NFL with the worst teams playing the, paying the largest payout and the best team paying the smallest payout. Start taking money out of the owner's pockets and I'd imagine tanking would scarcely happen. Have you thought of any other ideas to discourage tanking? I mean, I'm just not that worried about tanking in the NFL. You know, you, you see it happen when a team knows they're out of the playoffs and so they put in a backup quarterback for the last few games. But more often than not, they throw in the backup quarterback because he's a kid who they want to see play anyway. What I would be worried about is a team taking a full season off to try to be worse and improve their draft stock. But you just don't see that in the NFL. You see it in the NBA. Like, that was the 76ers' whole philosophy that's finally paying off. And that's why they have to have the lottery, because teams will actually trade all their good players, get the contracts off the books to free things up, free their team up to make moves in the future. But with rosters being so big in the NFL, it just doesn't work the same way. And when's the last time a team really took a full year off? Like, maybe when the Colts tried to get Andrew Luck, you could say? We kind of thought the Raiders were trying to do it last year, right? When they traded away Khalil Mack uh, yeah. and Amari Cooper. But even that, how many games did they win? Five? Yeah. So it wasn't like a full sell. Like, if they would have gotten rid of Derek Carr additionally, mm-hmm. then maybe you could have said, like, okay, they're definitely just trying to lose as many games as possible. Yeah, I think you just don't see it. There's only 16 games, right? And let's say, like, think a couple things go your way and you start 3-0. and Like, you're all of a sudden in it, you the, know? The Broncos. Right. Yeah, the Broncos. Like, you're in it. So there's, I think tanking is less um, prevalent in the NFL because there's – way less time to figure out how bad you are yeah in the nba you can start like you know two and 12 and you're like oh god we're gonna be terrible well we might as well just get rid of all these big contracts and start playing for the future Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to do that in the nfl the the crazy thing will be is if trevor lawrence continues on this path will we see an actual concerted effort by nfl franchises to tank then maybe there will be. What what year was Andrew Luck drafted? Was that 2012? Sounds right. Uh, to right me, around there. Yes. Uh, that be a little earlier. I think it was earlier. Maybe it was 2010. It was it was around there somewhere. But I mean, that's probably eight or ten years from one was, to the next. It would have been 2012, right? Because I was Peyton's first year with the Broncos. So yep. that was Andrew Luck's first year with yep. the Colts. So, I mean, once every eight years, you'll get a couple teams. And I think part of it is every team in the NFL can feel like they're going to win. Like in the NBA, you get the Warriors. I mean, this year, the Celtics should have been a lot better. You know, you have the 76ers, the Bucks, the Raptors. There's so many teams that are just so clearly above, like a step above everybody else. And then the Warriors, who are just going to probably win no matter what, that you don't feel like you can make a run. But like we were talking about earlier, even the Raiders, who were one of the worst teams in the league and kind of under the radar may have made some moves that'll help, they think that they're going to win a lot of games this year. I don't think there are many teams who think that they really legitimately don't have a shot. And I'm just starting to realize more and more of these built-in things. Another one. One player, unless it's a quarterback who is good right away, cannot change an NFL franchise instantly. No. Um, and even going back to the Colts, when they did tank for Andrew Luck, they were only doing that because Peyton Manning got hurt. Yeah, they didn't really tank. They just got lucky that Peyton Manning was hurt and, and he was their in. entire team. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, unless it is a quarterback, 
they're, you're not going to get a guy who's going to come in and change you right away like Zion will for the Pelicans. Or how about this? Um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. But, oh, the, there's never a player who's that much above the rest. No, there like, really isn't. When was the last time you we could say, like, oh, this guy is the number one pick no matter what, guaranteed, nothing can change? Andrew Luck, maybe. Yeah, and... I mean, if you look at the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, what's the difference between 1 and 10? Like, there's a difference, but it's not something like the difference between LeBron James and maybe... Who who would be number 10? Like, Nikola Jokic has to be in that range. Probably Joel Embiid is, like, right around 10. Yeah, I mean, according to the All-NBA team, Jokic is in the top 5. So true. But I guess so positionally... Uh, let's not get that far into it. He's top 5. All right. Last question here. We are deep into the podcast. This comes in from Squidney5280. Um, she says, welcome, by the way. New subscriber here, longtime listener. Thank you for shaming me into subscribing. I love my new shirt. We really appreciate that. Um, As someone who lives in George Aston's hometown, I have followed his high school and pit career for the past 10 years. I'm happy to see more love for the blue and orange in the middle of redskin territory. Hoping he can find himself on the practice squad so I can keep hearing you two talk about his neck. What neck? Ah, uh, yeah, but I feel like we got to give him credit for that neck. It's a great neck. It's not. It's a non-existent neck. Uh, I don't know. Um, his neck disappeared during college, so it must be something in the water in Pittsburgh. It's settled. Uh, I I wonder when his neck did disappear. Like, is that something that happened his senior year? Did he show up and like all of a sudden? I want to see him with a neck. I guess the case of the missing neck. The case of the missing neck. She finishes and says Pittsburgh and Virginia water are of poor taste compared to Colorado. Anyways, thanks for keeping me uh, feeling connected to the hometown sports all the way across the country. Thank you for riding with us. George Aston. I'm on Team Aston. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know how to evaluate a fullback. That's not something that I've gotten reps in. It's like, I don't know. Like half of it's just being mean and crazy, right? Yes. Yeah, and I just don't know how to gauge that without seeing it on the field. I don't know. Janovich definitely has the... A lot of it going for him. He does. But he's not quite as, like, stocky as a lot of No, fullbacks. he's kind of a speedy fullback. But isn't that kind of what you want? Well, it works really like well it makes for his a, special makes him a weapon. contributions. Yes. And I think that, in the end, is what, what will separate him and Aston. But, it, like, I don't know. You just need a guy who's just going to go hurt people. Yeah, maybe. Like, physically and mentally. Yeah. I mean, that is nice to have. But... If you have a fullback who can keep a defense honest, like he could slide out into the flat, catch a pass, and take it 15 yards if nobody's over there, if he just gets forgotten like fullbacks sometimes do. I mean, you need that threat too. I think Nonak had like 23 catches last year. Did he? Maybe that's too many. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, there's a big difference there. He had some catches though. He had some catches. I can guarantee he had at least one. How many did Jano have? A lot. He was used in all sorts of different – Oh. Last year. Last year, I don't know, five, six. Yeah, maybe. 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 And Nebraska, though, they use him in all sorts of ways. Mm. They're like I remember the tape. Yeah, he had I remember he had like a fifty yard touchdown run right yeah. in the middle. Yeah, well he's he had what, twenty two yard touchdown run, his first touch with the Broncos? Yep. And that of course There's a little burst there. Sparked Brandon Spano tweeting that might be the one and only touchdown of his career, in which I said I'll take that bet and I won. He has another? He has two more. Oh, wow. I've tweeted at Brandon both times. I mean, you can't just be ditching a three-touchdown fullback, can you? 
Three touchdowns. I mean, that's a good career for a fullback. It's a great career for a fullback. We'll see what happens. I'll be interested to see if it actually turns into like a real competition, but I still think Zach nailed it. They're going to practice squad him so they don't have to pay Jano next year. He'll have a year in the system. It makes perfect sense. It does make sense. I think it also makes sense for us to call it a day here on the BSN Broncos podcast as we are touching 90 minutes, no. which I'm sure some of you guys appreciate. Um, but I hope you're all having a great Memorial Day, enjoying some barbecue food with your families and um, celebrating uh, the, the, the people who will make our freedoms a reality here in the United States of America. So uh, thanks to all of you who tuned in, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on the BSN Broncos podcast. Getting me down Waiting up for you Cause I could have just as easily left by now What makes me return is What I need you to do Cause something you gave me just made me feel of mine It's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order.